We'll be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, if you have a Bible. Um, I encourage you to flip there. And how many of you have ever read the book, How to Read a Book? Anybody read that? A few of you have. It's assigned to a lot of like first-year college students uh, who are coming into the academic world and trying to figure out how to, how to read. And it's a, kind of a, you know, an odd concept to read a book on how to read a book. It's actually super helpful for those of you that have read it. Um, have you, how many of you have listened to a sermon on how to listen to a sermon? Even fewer, shockingly. <laughs> and uh, it may seem like a strange idea to talk about. Do we really need to be taught how to listen to a sermon? Don't you just kind of show up? Don't you just kind of sit there? Um, and it happens. And what I would like to bring this morning is the idea that Jesus actually has some strong thoughts about how we, as a community of his disciples, listen to his word. And so we'll read this uh, parable in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him, what this parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there's nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more Whoever does not have, even what they think they have, will be taken from them. We pray with me. Father, our hearts are satisfied in your presence. We're so thankful that you have given yourself to us and you have invited us to come and to find life in your name. 
I'm thankful for this community of saints that's gathered here this morning. I'm thankful for the work that you're doing by your spirit, forming the image of your son in us more fully, that we might represent you to this city and to the world. And we thank you for the amazing gift of your word, that you have taken it upon yourself to make yourself known to us. And that you have offered us your heart, your mind, your wisdom, even your dreams and desires for our lives and for this world. And I pray that this morning and every time we gather, we would find ourselves with gratitude, receiving your word with joy. And not just hearing it, but believing it and doing it. So Spirit, we know that you're here now. We pray that you would inspire our hearing of your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So in verse 18, Jesus, in a really surprising uh, way of applying this story to our lives as a warning, says, therefore consider carefully how you listen. In the context, if you start at the beginning of chapter eight, is that Jesus is going from town to town and he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God, in other words, the gospel. Jesus' public ministry was in the large part marked by public proclamation, preaching and teaching. And he's traveling around, speaking the good news, and he warns his disciples that when God's word or the gospel is preached, that the way they listen to it will have a tremendous impact on their lives and on the mission of that gospel going forth. And so Jesus uses the metaphor and paints this picture of the gospel as seeds that are scattered on the, on the ground and they land in different kinds of soil, rocky, hard, weedy, whatever. And he says, but there's some hearts, some lives who are like good soil. And when God's word goes forth and lands upon them, it sinks down deep it grows strong roots and produces a huge crop that will transform the landscape of the listener's life. And so according to Jesus, when the word of God is proclaimed, when the gospel is preached and when the Bible is taught, we had better pay close attention to how we listen. Because how we listen will affect our lives forever. And so today I want to be very practical. I don't give how-to sermons very often, but this morning we're going to talk about how do we listen to a sermon. And I'll just pause for a moment and acknowledge that we gather here 52 Sundays a year, and for the most part, about half of our time here gathered is spent listening to the Word of God being proclaimed and taught. And so... I was gonna say 52 times a year you'll hear a sermon. It's been, so it's really more 20 to 30 times that you're here and get to hear a sermon. But when you're here, or wherever else in your life, you are receiving the teaching and preaching of God's word. I want us to listen 
carefully to what Jesus tells us about how to listen carefully. And so here's the question that I want us to ask this morning. How can we listen to the preaching of God's word in a way that will cultivate a greater hospitality to the spirit of God so that our lives will be transformed to the image of Christ? Have you ever asked that question before? How can we, as we gather here together on a regular basis, learn how to listen in a way that would create space for God to do his best work in us and resultingly his best work through us as a community? So how do we listen to a sermon? Number one, listen with the desire and expectation to hear from God. Listen with the desire and expectation to hear from God. So your goal in listening to a sermon is not to hear the preacher. Your goal is to hear God. Your goal is not to hear what Ken happens to think or what Pete happens to say. Your goal is through the proclaimed preaching and teaching of God's word that you would actually be able to hear the voice of God. Listen to what Paul writes in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And, he, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word but as it actually is. The word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. And so Paul, as a pastor, and teacher of the Bible and a preacher of the gospel is celebrating or affirming the fact that this church in Thessalonica, when they listened to his sermons, they understood that the preaching of God's word is one of the primary ways that God communicates to his people. So they listened and received his preaching with the belief that through Paul's mouth, they were hearing God's voice. And so it's important for us to understand that throughout Scripture and throughout church history, it's incredibly clear that for whatever reason, preaching has always been what you might call a God-ordained means of grace. It's one of the primary pathways that God has chosen to funnel his life into his people. Now, you can argue whether or not it's the best way or most effective. Many of us know that listening to a monologue probably isn't the most helpful way for us to learn or to retain information or knowledge. And we can argue about that, but the fact remains that preaching is clearly established in scripture and history as a God-ordained means of grace, one of the primary ways he has chosen to reveal himself and make his heart and mind known to his people. And so God's raised up throughout scripture, kings, prophets, priests, judges, elders, pastors, and called them to be his mouthpiece to his people. And so what you'll notice is that throughout the story of God in the Bible, that when God's people are attentive to what he's saying through the preachers he's appointed, when people are attentive, things tend to go well. But when they ignore his word or forget it or don't believe it, that's when things fall apart and they get into trouble. If you think about the history of Israel, 
you'll find that that's the case. And so preaching is one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways God has chosen to channel his grace, his presence, his love, his power into our lives. And so we start by simply acknowledging what a gift that is. That God generously gives himself to us, reveals himself to us. He's a God who's not silent, but who has taken it upon himself to make himself known. And one of the ways he does that is through preaching and teaching. And so on my end, excuse me, or Ken or whoever else finds themselves in the position of preaching and teaching God's word, our commitment, or the commitment of a good pastor, is to say whatever God is saying by his word or by his spirit. And that's what I'm committed to, and Ken is as well, and anyone else that we would bring before you. Our commitment is we would listen to what God is saying through scripture and by his spirit, and we would be his mouthpiece to speak those words to, to his family. Okay, so I'll take a rabbit trail for a moment. I think it's important to state this because there are trends at the moment among lots of Christians and some of my really good friends that are moving away from preaching. And these pockets of believers that are really devoted to the idea of discipleship and community and missional living and don't have any interest in sitting in a pew and listening to a guy talk at them for 45 minutes, right? And there's a lot of things that I would celebrate about whatever you might call this movement, house church, organic church, simple church movement. Like if you know me at all, you know that I'm really devoted to the church gathering in the context of relationships and community. But my question is, if preaching is a God-ordained means of grace, why would you want to deprive yourself or your community of that? Why would you not want to put yourself in a position or in a situation on a regular basis where God has said, this is one of the ways I'm going to bless you, give myself to you? So I planted a church in Corvallis about nine years ago, right around the same time, actually the same month that Antioch was getting going. And um, I was 26 when we started, had no business planting a church, but we did it. And um, our vision coming in was to not so much start a church, but to invite a community of disciples to live out the gospel of Jesus among their neighbors in the city of Corvallis. And so we had this missional idea of what the church was all about. It wasn't so much about trying to get people to come to our service, but us trying to equip and send disciples to go into the world that God had called them to. And so it was kind of a little bit of a ragtag alternative community. Uh, We met in the basement dance club um, in downtown Corvallis, the super sketchy place called Platinum that was like... (laughs) <clears throat> they were trying to coin the term Corvegas, where Corvallis meets Vegas, which just doesn't make any sense and never really caught on. <clears throat> but they weren't, they weren't doing much on Sunday mornings, and so, um, so I got to know uh, the owner of the club and asked if, if we could rent out the space, and it was gnarly. Like it was, um, we literally would have to remove the dancing pole um, in order to set up the communion tables. And... <laughs> 
the kids were in the VIP lounge with black leather and plasma TVs and wiped that down real good, you know. But um, <laughs> so <clears throat> our whole thing was like we, we're not trying to get people to come to the church. We're trying to get the church to go to the people. And so instead of setting up shop in a building with pews and a steeple where Christians are at home, why don't we actually go out incarnationally into the city and find a place where we could live among our non-believing friends and neighbors? But a crazy thing happened. Um, it started to catch fire. And especially in a college town, if you know Corvallis is half Oregon State population-wise. And so it kind of just being this weird, underground, edgy, missional church, lots and lots of students started coming, mostly Christian students. And, and we did see God lead many people to himself through it. But what happened was, if, was if within two years, we had gone from being 40 to 500 people gathering every morning. And I'm 26 when we start this whole thing and had a, essentially a moment of panic where I said, this isn't what we set out to do. We did not set out to put on a cool church service where a bunch of people could come and, and have a good time. And so um, in a strange cocktail of my arrogance <laughs> and God's sovereignty and the Spirit's leading, um, with about four weeks' notice, I canceled Sunday mornings and said, if you're going to be part of this church, you're going to be part of a house church. So we're not going to get together for the cool music and the fiery preacher and, and all of that. We're going to be groups of 20 or 30 that on Sunday mornings meet in house churches. And if you want to be part of it, that's how you're going to be part of it. A place where you can be known and connected and loved. A place where we can work together to love our city and to serve our neighbors and to care for the poor around us. And so with a month or so notice, we canceled a very successful church service. Lost about half the people overnight. And I was okay with that, because there's other cool church services, if you want that. Um, and went into a season where we had a couple hundred people then that were meeting in homes, doing house church, sharing meals, sharing scripture, taking uh, communion, praying for one another, being the church. It was a beautiful time. And for those that were part of it, it was one of the most significant experiences they, they would tell you they had as a follower of Jesus. But after several months of this experiment, there was this sense that this is really good, the community, the intimacy, the devotion to mission and discipleship. But we began to notice that we were missing out on this God-ordained means of grace called preaching. And we began to realize that we have separated ourselves, cut ourselves off from one of the main ways God chooses to give himself to his people. And so eventually we kind of flipped the rhythm and um, called, uh, called a Sunday morning service again and moved our house churches to midweek and had the balance or the both and. And this seems to be the same rhythm that the early church used as well. If you read in Acts chapter five, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. So do you catch that and? 
in the temple courts, the large corporate gathering, and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming. Okay, so for Antioch, this is the rhythm we're committed to as well. That we would gather here, the temple courts, so to speak, and that we would gather from house to house. And so we've had this community fair rolling for the last couple of weeks, an opportunity for you to devote yourself to following Jesus with a group of people from Antioch that you can actually get to know and share life deeply with. And so all that to say, again, if, if, if you got lost in the story, I'm all about home groups, small groups, missional communities, community groups, whatever you want to call them, but God has chosen to reveal himself and grace us through preaching and teaching. And we would do well to pay attention to that and to be devoted to hearing that. So what would that look like? It simply means showing up on Sundays here, expecting and desiring God to speak to you. And so for me, when I'm paying attention, when I'm focusing, it simply sounds like a prayer as I sit down in the worship gathering saying, God, please let me hear from you today. What do you want to say to me? Help me hear it and believe it. So first step, I would invite you to pray and invite God to speak to you. Secondly, how do we listen to a sermon? Listen attentively, attentively for what God is asking you to believe and do. Listen attentively for what God is asking you to believe and do. So in James chapter 1, he says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's pretty clear, is it not? <laughs> so the work isn't done simply by sitting and listening. The assumption is that God's going to call you to something. There's something he would, wants you to believe today. And it's maybe something you've believed millions of times before, but you need to believe it again today. That he's with you, that he loves you, that he knows you, that he's got you. Or maybe there's something he would be calling you to do. An act of obedience, a person to love, a place to go, someone to give yourself to as God has given himself to us. And so God doesn't just want us to hear the Bible or even just agree with the Bible, but he actually wants us to obey the Bible. Okay, so, gosh, I'm gonna have to go fast here. Um, I would suggest that this would look like for most of us some form of note-taking. Now, I'm not really interested in, in having you like fill out my outline and make sure you get all the blanks filled in or something like that. I'm interested in you, or all of us as a community, as we hear God, finding a way to capture that. Okay? And so for me, that's usually the notes app on my phone going, what do I hear God saying? And if at the end of a 45-minute sermon I have one short sentence, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. So find a way to capture that and maybe even bring it into the community that you're walking with. And the other, I guess, sub-point I would say under this one is this. When it comes to listening for what God is calling you to believe and do, we're talking about you. For many of us, it's very easy to sit through a sermon and pay attention to what we think God wants to say to everybody else. I can't tell you how many times people come up and say, that was a great sermon, I wish my husband were here. 
<laughs> oh, such a good sermon. I'm so glad that guy was here. That's just what he needed to hear, right? <laughs> and we all will do that. God, ah, I wish my neighbor was here or whatever, right? And what we're talking about is saying, no, what does God want to say to you this morning? At the end of John's gospel, let me read this little story. Jesus said, um, where does he go? Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, Jesus said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. And then Jesus said, next one, sorry. When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? And Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. So, Jesus says something to Peter, and Peter goes, yeah, but what about John? <laughs> and Jesus is like, we're not talking about John. Don't worry about John. You must follow me. Resist the temptation on a Sunday morning to say, yeah, but what about that guy? <laughs> he needs to hear this. What does God want to say to you? Thirdly, out of four, Listen critically for agreement with the scriptures. I want you to hear this clearly. I've kind of established the fact that as preachers, we're devoted to saying what God is saying by his word and spirit. But the truth is, you're gonna hear some bad sermons. Now, I'm not saying Ken's ever preached one, but I know that I have. Some of you have been there, and there have just been some stinkers, right? And either I'm like lost or confused or don't know what I'm talking about, or I... Uh, <laughs> just kind of like space out, and it's, it's the weirdest thing when that happens, but <laughs> this whole parable, Jesus isn't actually talking about the quality of the seed, is he? He's just talking about the quality of the soil. So he puts the responsibility on the hearer, because yeah, there's going to be some bad sermons at Antioch or wherever else you hear them. And Jesus says, the seed's still going out. may not be pretty. Maybe kind of a weird seed, but the soil is the factor. And so, in Acts chapter 17, we're told now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Okay. I don't know about you, there's not many churches or pastors that would celebrate this in my experience. And at Antioch, we will. When Ken or I or whoever else is preaching, we are stoked if you're not just taking our word for it, but you're going, how does that line up with what the Bible teaches. And you'll know that both Ken and I are incredibly open to those dialogues. And going, how, how did we get there? And why do, we, why do we believe the things we do, right? And so Paul commends, or Acts commends, this church, the Berean church, who always, always runs everything that's preached through the lens of scripture. Because preachers get it wrong sometimes. And uh, it's on you, on us, as the hearers, to pay attention. 
Okay. And finally, number four, listen in community. Listen in community. Okay, so there's a reason that this is something that God has always had his people do together. Starting in Deuteronomy 4, where God tells Moses, assemble the people before me to hear my words. God chooses to uh, grace us or to bless us with his word in the context of family. So right where we left off in Luke 8, if you're still there, starting in verse 19, now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into a pr- to practice. <clears throat> so again, there's this emphasis on not just hearing and agreeing, but actually practicing, doing, as a result of what God speaks. But the context for that practice is Jesus' redefinition of family. So almost the entire New Testament is written in the plural. All the exhortations, especially in the epistles, but also in many of Jesus' teachings, including the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to groups, to communities. Here in the Northwest, we don't say y'all, but that's the, that's the word. I want y'all to live this way. I want y'all to be these kinds of people. We are the family of God. And so there's this invitation to come and gather for worship, for prayer, for sacrament, for fellowship, and to receive the word of God as a family. And we're each listening for ourselves, but we're doing it together. And asking not just what is God saying to me, but what is he saying to us? What would it look like if we were to believe this and to obey this and to begin living this out in our city and in our world? What if we were this kind of community that loved each other, that forgave each other, that corrected each other in love? What would that look like for us to do this, to live this, to believe this together? So the truth is, in our day and age, to hear good Bible teaching and gospel preaching, showing up at Bend High on Sunday morning might not be the first thing you would think of. Because you can get on YouTube or iTunes or wherever else and download a podcast or watch a video of the greatest preachers in the world. And I... If that's your thing, that's great. If you're running or commuting or whatever and like to listen to preaching and teaching of the Bible, uh, that's awesome. But you can see how that would never be able to replace the experience that we have as being the gathered people of God, paying attention to what God would say to us today at Antioch Church in Bend, Oregon in 2016. So podcasts and books and classes and seminars and all that other stuff, great. But there's something sacred about this as we've even experienced this morning. That God has chosen 
to pour himself into us. And so I'll close with Hebrews chapter 10. He says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the day, all all the more as you see the day approaching. So as we come into this new calendar year together, the invitation is that when we come on Sundays, we would come with this expectancy to encounter the living God. To rest in his presence. And to have our minds and our hearts and our lives be transformed by the gospel. By the good news of the kingdom. That the day is approaching. That God is at work in the world. He's making all things new in one day. Jesus will put everything back to rights. Everything, the world, will once again be the way that it's supposed to be. The kingdom of God will come on earth as it is in heaven. We are those people seeking, longing, waiting for that day and invited to join with God, to be his covenant partners, to be the brothers and sisters of Jesus that are living out that future reality here and now. And it's really easy for our minds and our attitudes, our worldviews and our belief systems to be shaped by the culture around us and by the routine of life. But through the preaching of the gospel, the teaching of the Bible, we have this weekly opportunity to come and to receive the grace of God's very word and presence. Why would we not do that? Why would we not put ourselves in that situation as often as possible, as regularly as possible, to be devoted to being here on Sundays, not to hear what Ken and Pete have to say, and not even to hear what the band has to say, but to hear what God would have for us today. And what we'll find is that his very presence, his very word, he alone is the one who satisfies our hearts. He's the one we need. And he's given himself to us. So Father, we thank you so much for your gracious generosity of giving us your word. There's lots of other ways that you reveal yourself to us as well. But as we gather here this morning and week after week, we thank you that you are with us. Your presence is our promised hope and our joy. And whether we're coming in burnt out, stressed out, confused, and limping, we know that you are the one we need. So I pray, Holy Spirit, would you make us a church who eagerly and expectantly hears and listens for your voice and believes it and does it. Pray that you would use this year in the life of our church to form the image of Jesus in us that the city of Bend would get to see who Jesus really is by looking at the way we love you and love one another.
So we trust you. We thank you. In Jesus' name.